0: This is Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Now here is the scripture from which I have wanted to preach many times. I refer to it frequently, but this is the first time I've attempted to give an exposition of this passage, and I believe I've got something that will help us. Let's read together the first three verses, but then you just hold your Bibles open to this chapter. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now that's the title of my message. Can these bones live? The Lord God leaves no doubt no question at all, as to the meaning of this passage of Scripture. It speaks of the resurrection of God's elect from death and of their being gathered together in their own land by the power and grace of God himself. He explains that in verses 11 through 14, if you'd like to read with me. Then he said unto me, Son of man, These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and will bring you into the land of Israel." He's talking about a resurrection, not just of the physical nation Israel, but of all the Israel of God. Not just a resurrection from a period of of captivity and a deliverance from bondage, but a resurrection from the grave and from death. He says, you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. Now without question then, this is a word from God to lost men and women. Lost men and women who have been made to see their lost and undone condition before God. In verses 11, he says, They say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we are cut off for our parts. Oh, you find me some sinners. Find me some sinners. Men and women who know that they are lost sinners, lost because of their own sin. Who, like these people described here, say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we're cut off because of our sin. You find me some lost sinners such as that. And I will not hesitate to declare the word of God's promise to them. God says to such many women, I will open your graves and call you to come out of your graves. Are you saying, pastor, that God will save every lost sinner? That's what I'm saying, every one of them. All who have need of healing are healed by our God. All who have need of saving are saved by his grace. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and you can mark it down, you can think it over and remember it in years to come, and you'll understand it in time. There never has been a man or woman, top side of God's earth, who knew that he deserved to go to hell, who went to hell. There's never been one. There's never been a sinner, top side of God's earth, who knew that he deserved to go to hell, who went to hell. Never one. I'm telling you that everyone who knows himself to be lost, undone, utterly deserving of the wrath of God, shall obtain mercy by the hand of God's grace every one of them our lord jesus christ came into the world to save sinners and the only people in the world who die without christ are folks who foolishly imagine that they do not need christ this vision is also a vision of a very great resurrection without question it has reference to a fourfold resurrection And the passage cannot be interpreted or understood unless it's understood in this fourfold sense. First, it has an immediate reference to the resurrection of the Jews out of Babylon and of their return to the land of Israel from the days of their captivity in Babylon by the hand of Cyrus. We have been studying passages in Isaiah relating to this. In Isaiah 45, we'll be looking at it tonight, there's a prophecy of this deliverance. In Daniel chapter 5, I believe it is, we have a history of this deliverance, but here Ezekiel is speaking this word from God, or he has this vision from God and records it for us, and the immediate reference is to the deliverance of Israel out of Babylonian captivity by the hand of God, a resurrection up from death, a resurrection up from bondage by God's hand of providence and of grace. But in the distant view of prophecy, this vision also refers to the resurrection of the dead at the last day. Particularly, it refers to the resurrection of the bodies of God's saints when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. He says this plainly. He says, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. Now that can't be understood of anything short of a literal resurrection of our bodies from the death and the grave by the power of God when Christ comes again. He will raise these vile bodies and they shall be changed like unto his glorious body. Thirdly, This vision speaks a word of promise to God's church. It is a word of promise to God's church in every age. When the church of God, or any part of it, is brought low and languishing, God promises to pour out the spirit of life upon his languishing ones. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about the the whole visible assembly of God's saints throughout the earth at any given time. Or whether we're talking about visible assemblies such as this one at various stages in time. All the word of God to his saints is a word of promise. He speaks to us this word of promise. When we are brought low, he will lift us up. When we are languishing, he will revive the concrete ones. Turn to Hosea and look at what Hosea urges us to do. Hosea chapter 6. Listen to this word. Come, come. You've been brought, low; Your hearts cold and empty and barren and languishing. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. And in the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. That's his promise to his church at all times, and to all his church. When, when you're languishing, he will revive. He will lift you up. He will bring about this resurrection. But the primary reference of this passage is to the spiritual resurrection of God's elect in the new birth. The Apostle, writing in in Revelation chapter 20, the Apostle John says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death shall have no power. Now the first resurrection is the new birth. The first resurrection is a spiritual resurrection. It is a resurrection from death to life by the power of God the Holy Spirit through the merits of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me show you that. Turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 24. Our Lord Jesus is speaking. Whenever we give an interpretation to a passage like this or to the uh, passage in Revelation, where our Lord says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, then we don't just draw this out of our hat. This is something that that we get from the Scriptures. How do you know that's talking about a spiritual resurrection? How do you know that Ezekiel 37 is talking about a spiritual resurrection? Look in verse 24 of John 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Well, Lord, what do you mean? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is. That is, I'm not talking to you about something I'm in the future. I'm talking to you about what's going on right now. And now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now, this vision is an instructive picture of the resurrection of dead sinners from spiritual death to spiritual life by the sovereign power and irresistible grace of God the Holy Spirit. I want you to just keep your Bibles open here to Ezekiel 37 and follow along with me as we look at this picture. And let me call your attention to four or five things. First, let's look at the preacher's vision. In verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out into, in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very, very dry. The Lord God carried his prophet away into a great valley, which apparently at one time long, long ago, had been the scene of a of a horrible battle. It was apparently a place where a great slaughter had taken place and it was a long time since the slaughter took place. Because these bones were not just the bones of men laying as skeletons but they were the bones that were what skeletons, now scattered out into the open field so that there's no telling which bone belongs to which bone, and they're, they're just blown about from one place to the other. The wind and the sand and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the powers of the elements of nature had come and scattered these bones and bleached them dry, and there they lay in the open sun. No life, nothing connecting the bones one to the other. They lay strewn me across the valley. They were very many. They were very dead. And they'd been that way for a long, long time. They were very, very dry. Now here's the lesson. And I'm going to give you a lesson with each of these as we go along. And I want you to be sure you get them. Here's a lesson every preacher has got to learn. Every preacher. No man will ever be used of God until he learns this lesson. Now, he may be a successful preacher. He may be president of the denomination. He may have thousands of folks come listen to him preach. But no man will ever be used of God until he learns this lesson. What is it? He must be taught the state and condition of those to whom he preaches. He must be made to understand that his congregation by nature is utterly dead, totally depraved. To be wrong here is to be wrong everywhere. What is the condition of man by nature? What is it? Now answer that question. Are you listening? Are you listening to me? What is the condition of man by nature? Answer that question, and I'll tell you what all your doctrine is. And I'll tell you how you'll go about ministering to people. Answer that question. You get a preacher to answer that What's the condition of the folks you preach to? What, what are they like? What's their state by nature? If he answers that question, you can understand what he teaches in every other point of doctrine, and you can understand what his method is going to be in all things. You see, any man who denies the utter, absolute, total depravity, and inability of man by nature, will make all his doctrine to be man-centered. Everything he believes will in some way or other extol the will, the works, and the worth of man. And all his methods of ministry will be designed not to convert men, not to have men raised from the dead, but to manipulate men in religious activity. Everything that's commentary on the whole of the religious world in which we live. You listen to what men teach. Their doctrine is man-centered because they don't understand that men are dead. They're dead. They don't understand that men are utterly without ability before God. And therefore they center all their doctrine around man's will and his worth and his works and all of their church activity, all the methods of ministry they have, are designed to manipulate men and women into religious profession and religious activity, no more. God's prophets are men who have learned the true nature and condition of man. Now, we've been with Ezekiel into this valley of dry bones, (laughs) and we've been made to understand that all men by nature are dead in trespasses and in sins. There was a long, long time ago, somewhere about 6,000 years ago, there was a battle that took place back in the Garden of Eden. And as a result of that battle, all the human race has been left utterly dead. Is that not the teaching of Scripture? In Adam all died. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and through so all her sin, and all her sin, and death has passed upon all men. Because we've all sinned. You have been quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Now this, this terrible battle happened a long, long time ago. It left many slain. In fact, it left everybody slain. All the many who were represented in Adam were slain in this battle. And there is now a, an absolute barrenness about humanity insofar as spiritual things are concerned. An absolute barrenness. Like these bones that Ezekiel saw, there was no life about them. There was no moisture of life, no worth of life, nothing about them. There was absolutely nothing good to come from them. You see, man by nature is so dead spiritually that he can't produce one good thing. None. I look at you, and I look at our sons and daughters, and And you who are yet without faith in Christ, and I've preached the gospel to you and prayed for you, but I understand, I understand, and I hope you understand, that if God doesn't intervene on your behalf, you're going to perish in your sins. You understand that? The flesh, in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. Nothing. And you that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the language of Scripture. Scripture. There is none righteous. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good, not even one. Man by nature is dead. Now, God's prophets understand that man was ruined in the garden, that man is fallen and he can't get up. All men by nature are dead. That means that you who are yet without Christ, are without God, without hope, without life, without help, without strength, you're altogether dead in trespasses and in sins. And our understanding of man's fallen and ruined condition determines everything about our ministry. Everything. All our doctrine is a reflection of this doctrine. All of it. If man's dead, then if he's redeemed, redemption is altogether the work of God. If he's dead, and he's chosen of God, his election altogether by God's grace, then he's dead. If man's dead, and he's born again, he must be born again altogether by the power of God. Is that correct? If a man's dead, and he's made to live, he must be made to live altogether by the power of God. We understand that men are dead. And this is reflected in everything else we believe. That's the reason we declare that salvation is altogether the work of God's free grace. And it also determines our method of evangelism. What we do in preaching the gospel reflects this doctrine of man's depravity. People sometimes... Foolishly imagine that if we would begin to compromise the doctrine, if we would begin to to whittle away a little bit, don't be so strict, don't be so demanding, don't be so precise, don't don't insist that people reference God. Don't do that. Maybe maybe folks start start just flocking in here, but in the hordes, and, and we'd we'd soon see the church grow into a great multitude. Let me tell you something. You go read this book. Folks think I'm a little bit rough around the edges. <laughs> you ought to try to figure out who who this man Ezekiel was. Now, you don't have to start rough around the edges. He was rough around the edges. Isaiah, my soul alive. Jeremiah, John the Baptist, God's prophets. God's prophets in this book. We're always men, we're always men who were looked upon by other men as being less than commendable characters in society because they weren't polite. They just weren't polite. They never were polite. Never polite with God's enemies and never polite with sinners because God's prophets will not bow and scrape before dead sinners. They won't do it. They won't. Why should we? Why should we? Why should a man who speaks for the living God act as though God's purpose and God's will and God's authority and God's power depends upon a dead sinner? God's power depends on God, only on God. You understand that? And so God's preachers deal with men Honestly, without backing up, without compromising, without backpedaling, without watering down the truth, they declare folks the truth as God himself declares it because they understand if ever you live, it'll be by the power of God through the truth of God. All right, now look at our Lord's question in verse 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Here's the second lesson. It must be learned by preachers and churches. Few people today really believe it. Few do. We all believe it doctrinally. I know we do. I know every man and woman here mentally believes it. But I suspect few of us really believe it. Few of us really believe it. And yet it's of vital importance. The new birth really is a supernatural miracle of grace. It really is. Can these bones live? Well, she and Shirley sitting there with those two boys. You love them and I do. I want you boys more than anything on this earth, for you, I want you to know the living God. You understand that? Don't you ever, forget? don't ever forget I told you that, and I'm going to keep telling you that. I want you to know the living God, but I can't make them know Him. I can't. I can't. Well, if you if you didn't require them to sit still in church, maybe they'd like it better. <laughs> if you didn't require them to. Uh, they come to church. Maybe they'd like it better. Well, I can't make them know God. And there's no excuse for their not knowing him. It's their responsibility, yet we can't make them know him. The new birth really is a miracle of grace. It really is. What are you saying, Pastor? When God shows his preacher the true condition of man, dead and trespasses and sins, he causes them to consider some serious questions, some great profound questions. Can these bones live? Now to the, the religionist, he's look at that and say, well, there was, this was just a hypothetical situation here and there's no real great question to that at all. But to the person who understands what God's teaching, this is a great question. I'm looking out over this congregation and I see some dead bones, some dead lost sinners. Can they live? Can they live? Is it possible? We've got a community around us of dead lost sinners. Can they live? Is it possible for them to live? We've got our families, our households. Dead, lost sinners, can they live? Is it possible for them to live? Now those are great questions. Those are profound questions. Can dead sinners live before God? Can an unjust man be made just with God? Can those who love darkness suddenly be made to love light? Can men who hate God? be transformed to men who love god and men who love wickedness and drink iniquity like water be made to hunger and thirst after holiness and righteousness <laughs> job asked the question how can a man be just with god jeremiah said can the Ethiopian change your skin can the leopard change his spot if that happens then you the doing evil can begin to do good. The disciples, you remember in Matthew, what was it, Matthew uh, 20, 19 or 20 this week we were reading in our scripture reading, the rich young ruler came to the Lord Jesus and he said, good master, what good things shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And the Lord told him, "Go sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and come follow after me and you will be my disciple. <laughs> and he went away sorrowful. And the disciples looked at him, and they heard what the Lord said. And they said, well, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Can these bones live? I'm not talking about a mechanical motion of religion. I'm talking about life. Life. You can take the bones and wire them together with tradition and custom and ceremony and religious excitement, and you can pull the right strings and make them look like they're alive. And you can give all kinds of movement. But can these bones live? Can they live? I'm talking about the life I was talking about. A man who hates God being made to love him. A man who loves iniquity Been made to seek and hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm talking about life. Can these bones live? But look at the prophet's answer in verse 3. He said, O Lord God, thou knowest. When God's preacher realizes the true condition of man by nature, by birth and by practice when he ponders the great miracle of the new birth he's brought to depend totally upon the sovereign power and irresistible grace of almighty god here's the third lesson god always teaches his prophet Salvation is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. It's, it's altogether God's work. The Lord said to Jeremiah, Can these bones live? And Jeremiah looked at over those bones. And he gave considerable consideration to those bones. Well, they're dead. <laughs> They've been dead a mighty long time. And if it depends on them, no, they can't live. No, they can't live. God said, Jeremiah, now Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel looks at himself and his talents his abilities and his gifts. And he said, Lord, if it depends on me, no, they can't live. And then he thought on his God God's power, God's grace. As a dead, been dead a long time, fruitless. Dry, lifeless bones. And there's God in glory. And he said, Lord, you know. (laughs) You know. Thou knowest. All things are possible with God. Salvation is of the Lord. It is God's work and God's work alone to bring life to to the dead. O then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. The scriptures declare, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, the new birth, the new birth is a new creation. It is God Almighty creating out of nothing spiritual life. Creating in the void, vacuum, emptiness, and death of your heart, God creates life. That's the new birth. The new birth is is God raising up the dead. Salvation is God giving birth to those who had no life. It's God bringing life out of nothing, bringing life out of death. The new birth is a supernatural revelation of grace. It is God commanding the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his Son, to shine in your hearts. So that you see him, whom you never saw before. Now, fourthly, look at the Lord's command in verse 4. Again he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones. And say upon these slain that they may live. The fourth lesson that God taught his prophet is the necessity of preaching. Now listen. And the necessity of that preaching being made effectual by the power of his Spirit. The Lord commanded Ezekiel to preach, Oh, ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord! That's strange. That's strange. It looks to me like it would be a whole lot better to start finding out which bone fits where and them all together. That's the way we'd do it. Let's see now. That bone looks like it might match up to this bone. Let's Let's get this thing worked out, and if we get them tied together, maybe we can maybe we can pour a little water on them, and maybe we can maybe if we get them and move them around a little bit and give them a little activity and give them something to do, maybe i will make them live. I hear preachers and I hear church members sometimes. Well, oh. Oh, Brother Joe, we don't come to church much. Let's give him something to do. That'll get him. (laughs) Let's give him something. Let's get him active. That'll get him. let's have him take midweek service. He'll come on midweek then. Let's have him take a Sunday school class. Then he'll come on Sunday morning. But the Lord said, Oh, bones, hear the word of the Lord. And that's all. You see, As strange as that commandment must have seemed to Ezekiel, God's commandment to us is just as strange in the ears of men. But his commandment is plain and clear. He says, preach, prophesy, proclaim the gospel to dead sinners. This is God's method of grace. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for this gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. it. pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's God's method of saving sinners. Of his own will begat he us With the word of truth. That's how God saves sinners. Now notice what Ezekiel says in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. (laughs) I prophesied as I was commanded. The Lord God said, He that hath my word, let him speak it faithfully. God requires no more, and he will accept no less from his prophets. If I am God's servant, if I am God's preacher, I have these responsibilities to seek the word from God's own mouth and then tell you what God says. That's my responsibility. Now notice this too. The message that God gave Ezekiel was not a commandment telling the bones something that they must do, was it? The Lord didn't say, "Oh, ye bones, come now and begin to serve the Lord." He didn't say, "Oh, ye bones, come and make your decision for Jesus." He didn't say, "Oh, ye bones, come and take the first step toward God, and He'll do all the rest." He didn't say, "Oh, ye bones, start living the Christian life." <laughs> People trying to get folks to live the Christian life. we got a whole world of insane, crazy, religious people who are driving themselves mad trying to live the Christian life without Christ. Most insane thing in this world. He didn't say, oh, dry bones, start now living the Christian life and live right for Jesus. No, look what he says, Verse 5, thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. What Ezekiel was commanded to preach was a declaration and a promise of grace, a declaration of what God would do, not what the sinner must do. You see, God's preachers always declare God's works. <laughs> That's what they do. They talk about what God does. We preach Christ crucified. We tell men who Christ is, what he's done, what he's doing now, and what he's going to do. He has redeemed us. He is saving us. He will present us wholly and without blame before the presence of his glory. Now one more commandment was given. The Lord commanded him in in verse 9, and said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slaves, that they may live. God's grace might have saved sinners without our preaching. God could have. God could have saved sinners without our preaching. But our preaching can never save a flea without God's grace. And so the Lord commands Ezekiel and us to do these two things. Preach and pray. Preach and pray. Preach and pray. pray. Prophesy unto the weak. I've been preaching this morning, and I've told you the truth. I've been doing it in this place here for nearly 13 years. I've heard, you've heard. Sometimes I preach fairly well, and sometimes I just stumble along. It seems like God leaves me to myself, and I just get through the hour, and we're done. But it doesn't matter whether I preach well or preach lousy. Nothing good will be done unless God the Holy Spirit takes the word and graciously makes it effectual to your heart. And so, before I preach, and when I sit down here and I get ready to preach, and when I get done preaching, I pray, oh, Spirit of God come and breathe life. With these words, breathe life and cause sinners to live before God. Come, O breath, breathe upon these slain that they may live. Fifth death. Look at the glorious results they're given. Now, here's the fifth lesson. First, we must learn the condition of man. And second, the miracle of the new birth. Third, we must be taught the salvation is of the Lord. And fourth, the necessity of preaching. But be sure you learn this fifth lesson as well. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. We won't read all the verses just for brevity's sake. Let's notice quickly these three things that happened as the result of Ezekiel preaching and the Spirit of God coming with the Word. First, there was a commotion among the bones. In verse 7, Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. There was something happening. It looked like life, and yet the breath of life wasn't there yet. I think this might very well be comparable the Holy Spirit conviction as we experience it. When Saul of Tarsus was stricken down on the Damascus road, the scripture tells us that he trembling and shaking, Cried, Lord Lord, there was a shaking, there was a trembling, there was a commotion, there, there was something that got his attention. And that's what God does with Satan. He gets their attention. He gets their attention. But then, after the commotion, when the Spirit of God came, there was life. So I prophesied, as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them. And they lived and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. Oh, when the Spirit of God comes, he causes dead sinners to live. (laughs) He passes by. He spreads the skirt of Christ's righteousness over you. He says, live. And I want to tell you something. If he ever does it, you won't have to debate and wonder whether or not it's happened. (laughs) He will cause you to know that you live by his grace. He comes to Lazarus, that empty tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus could never have come forth, he was dead. Oh, but with his word came the power of his grace and of his spirit. Lazarus came forth. And if he's pleased to speak now, by his word, If his spirit will attend the word and carry it home to your heart, you dead ones will live before him and come to Christ. And then thirdly, the Lord God was known and glorified. He said in verse 13, Ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people and brought you up out of your graves, verse 14, the latter part, you know, then shall you know, that I, the Lord, has spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. The power of God gave these bones life, the Spirit of God gave them breath, that is, gave them faith, and they gave God the glory, because God made them to live. Now, let me read one text of Scripture to you, and I'll send you home. Psalm 127. Psalm 127. You and I are a as we serve the cause of our God in this world. To build the house and kingdom of God, are we not? That's what we're here for. We want to build His house and His kingdom. Now, look at verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they. You and I are attempting as we serve the cause of our God in this world, to build the house and kingdom of God, are we not? That's what we're here for. We want to build his house and his kingdom. Now look at verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, even in this spiritual sense. When Zion prevails and brings forth her children, they're an heritage from the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. But what are we to do? Let's do exactly what God's commanded us to do. Now let's do it. Let's be zealous and earnest and do exactly what God's commanded us to do. Let's preach. Preach the gospel to every creature he commands us to. Let us give ourselves relentlessly to this business and pray 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 for god's blessing upon every endeavor for the preaching of the gospel every pray that the spirit of god will honor his word And our labors in his word with a life-giving power to dead sinners. Pray. And we'll wait on God. We'll wait on God. What if nothing happens? Well, now I'm going to tell you something. I get a little discouraged sometimes. Because I don't see things happening the way I think they ought to happen. And you do too. We all do. But if nothing happens, if nothing happens, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to preach, and we're going to pray, and nothing else. We're going to wait on God. We're not about to compromise His truth, and we're not about to lower the standard of His gospel, and we're not about to go about trying to entertain men on their road to hell to make it look like we're doing something for God. We're going to preach and pray and wait on God. That's all. That's all. And God will honor it in His way and in His time for His glory. And that's all I'm interested in. (laughs) Well, that's a lie. That's not so. But that's all I ought to be interested in. I'm afraid I'm far too much interested in many other things. But we ought to be interested in nothing but His glory. Amen. Wes, you come up here and dismiss us in prayer, will you? Now, the Lord willing, tonight I'm going to be preaching to you from Isaiah 45, verses 1 through twelve.